You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, for this day, for the baptism that we just witnessed, for the love that you have for us in Christ. And would you settle our hearts and our minds now as we turn to your word, as we think hard on it, would you speak to us? Would you meet us? Would you come and dwell amongst us? This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you would open your bulletin back to the Revelation passage, um, that's the passage I'm going to be focusing on this morning. Well, what does the future hold? What's going to happen next? Thinking and talking about the future dominates our lives. How long will the war in Ukraine last? Will Elon Musk buy Twitter? When will Tom Brady actually retire? When will you be able to afford gas? Who will be the next Prime Minister of Australia? I know you're all waiting on pins and needles for that one. But closer to home, what am I doing with my life? Who will my teacher be next year? What do I want my future to look like? What will my children's future look like? Will I be financially stable in the future? The future brings lots of speculation, which can be at times exciting, but other times very daunting. As Christians, how are we to think about the future? Well, our passage today reminds us that God is the Almighty, who holds the future securely in his hands. Our passage comes at the beginning of the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, and it's easy It's no easy book, sorry, to dip your toes into. It's quite frightening, this book. Um, Just a word of warning. But it it contains a lot of apocalyptic imagery and symbolism. But the good news is, with some diligent work and the help of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot to be gained from this book. And the verses we'll be focusing on today form the introduction of John's letter. He greets the recipients of this letter, the seven churches of Asia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he writes this letter to encourage the Christians who are suffering from persecution from the Roman emperor, who are susceptible to false teaching, who are conceding their faith to the world around them, and who had become complacent in their faith. And although all these things are happening around them, this war is raging around them, John wants to remind them that God is on their side. And he has won the ultimate victory. He has already won the war. So John writes this letter to comfort the believers and to comfort us and to remind us that for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the future is not a cause for worry, but of great rejoicing and of celebration. And we see that the first reason for this is we can have this hope because God is in control. See, two times in our passage we're told that God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. We see this in verse 4 and verse 8. Listen to these verses again. Verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And then verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God is ruling and reigning right now, in this very present moment. He was there governing all things in the was, the past. Even at the beginning, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. And he will be there in control 
in the great to come, the future. So if he is the God of the past and of the present, shouldn't we trust him to be the God of the future also? If we can see what he's done before, then shouldn't we trust him that what he's doing now and in the future will be okay? I've made it no secret uh, in my preaching that I worry about the future, whether it be finances or the place that our family will live or when we might buy a car. There's plenty of wheels spinning around in my head. And it's always good to be reminded, as John Newton does in Amazing Grace, that even through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. I'm, I'm here today. I've already come to this place. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and his grace will lead me home. For these believers who were suffering great persecution, who couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, for whom the future looked bleak, it's comforting to know that God is in control of the future. It's comforting to know that even though mysteriously somehow God allows this persecution and this suffering to happen, that he has not left us. He's not left them or this world to its own devices. He's not a deistic God who sets the clock running and then leaves it alone. Although we can't fully understand it, God is intimately involved in this creation, in everything that goes on in this world. He has his finger in every pie. He knows every hair upon your head. Not a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from God's care and control. I want to think about what that means for you and for me and for us in 2022. What this doesn't mean is that God has some wonderful future in store for your life where you fulfill your God-given destiny and you accomplish everything that you put your hand to and you're blessed with material blessings. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. This is not the witness of the New Testament and that's not what Jesus says will happen in your life. What it does mean, though, is that even in the shadow of the valley of death, he is with us. He has been there before, hanging all alone on the cross, buried in a, a cold, dark grave. And he has made a way through that valley. He's come out the other side. He's prepared a future for us where that valley will be no more, where we will all be gathered around his throne, feasting and celebrating in worship the victory that he has won over sin and death, through the lamb that was slain. So ultimately, God's plan for your future is not that you would have glory, but that you would bring glory to him. So this, this glorious future is secured for us in those who trust in Jesus Christ. Look at how he's described in verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rule of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's break this down a little bit. Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. This is a very strange phrase if you think about it. And what this means is that the God who creates out of nothing, who calls into existence the things that do not exist, has brought forth life out of death by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus has passed through and conquered death to be born to new life in a glorious resurrection body. 
and that he is the firstborn implies that there are many others who will be resurrected with him. And so through his death and resurrection, Jesus has triumphed over sin and death, has been appointed as ruler of the world. He is the king of kings and, and the queens of all the earth. He's the president presiding over all the presidents. He's the one who governs over the governors. Through his triumph over the grave and his rule over all the earth, we can know that the future is sure and certain. It's a future that will have no more pain and suffering in it, for death will be no more. There will be no more curse. Where there is no darkness, no more lonely nights, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever, it says later in the book of Revelation. And just an aside for a moment, notice that the description of Jesus connects with how God the Father is being described here. God the Father is over all things as creator, and God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, rules over all things as king. We're not talking about two separate or different beings. We're talking about the one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father accomplishes his rule through his Son by the power of his Holy Spirit. The three are united in their common purpose and mission. And then they unite us and include us in this mission. And in this glorious future reality through Jesus Christ, through his blood shed for us. In verse 6 we read that through Jesus' blood, that is his sacrificial death on the cross, we are freed from our sins. So the sin that alienates us, that separates us from God, has totally been dealt with. This sin that corrupts our world, our flesh and our desires, it will be no more because its penalty has been paid for. And because of this, we are no longer enemies of God. We are now a new creation and we've been made into a kingdom, a part of his kingdom and a kingdom of priests who serve God, bringing glory to his name. So for those who trust in Jesus and his shed blood for their sins, there is a wonderful future prepared and secured for us where sin and death will be no more. And we can be certain of this because God has proven he is faithful to his promises by raising Jesus from the dead. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My third point, he's bringing all of this to his own ends. So from this passage, we've seen that God is in control. He's seen it all from beginning to the end, from eternity past to eternity present and beyond. He's also in control of our salvation, securing us a glorious future in Christ. And lastly, that what we see is that because God is in control, because he has a plan for our future, he is directing all things towards this end. How will we get there? We'll look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. <clears throat> Just as Jesus came to earth in the past, so he is coming again. But this second coming will be a little bit different from the first. No longer a baby born in a manger... This time he'll come riding on the clouds of heaven. Now this image is taken from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and is given authority and glory and sovereign power 
All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this image also agrees with what the angels told the disciples at his ascension, that he would return in the same way that he left. And at his coming, everyone will know that it is Jesus. Every eye will see him. There will be no confusion. This is good news for those who put their trust in him. His coming means the beginning of that future life with him. It's the beginning of the wedding feasts of the Lamb and the end of suffering. But it is cause for wailing over all the earth for those who reject him. For those whose guilt remains upon them, who have not repented from their sins, who have not turned to Jesus for forgiveness, his coming will mean that their punishment is at hand. Let this come as a warning to you here. Behold, he is certainly coming, and you have two options. You can either be someone who rejoices at his coming, knowing that your salvation has arrived, or you can be someone who wails because your judgment has come. Now, if you're here and you have not repented of your sins and asked Jesus for your forgiveness, then listen to these words and know that today is the day of salvation. There will be no second chance when Jesus returns. You can be a worshipper or a wailer. Paul assures us, though, in Romans 10:9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what does the future hold? What does the future hold for you? What does the future hold for me? Well, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These are comforting words for those who know him. Because God knows. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. And he's in control of it all. He's directing all things towards his future, which will be glorious for those who have been freed by their sins by Jesus' blood. And in light of all of that, let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for love that you have poured out on us in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, by freeing us from our sins by his blood. And we look forward to the time when he will return, knowing that uh, you have everything in control and that you are directing all things to that end. And we ask that you give us great patience as we wait. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.